It's your Thursday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you guys are doing all right out there. Take uh, take it slow today. A lot of snow if you are in the Twin Cities or Minnesota area and listening to this. I'll get some uh, shoveling going here in a little while. I'm sure a lot of you will as well. But, uh, you know, that's what we do. That's what we do in December and January and February and March and, you know, sometimes April. But uh, not uh, not so bad. We'll get through it. And uh, you'll have a nice, uh, a nice daily delivery today to, uh, to to get you through all of that. Maybe you're listening to it even while you clear some snow right now. If you are, I hope you like some uh, some hot stove talk. I'm going to get some twins talk here in just a minute. Uh, tying up some loose ends from the Carlos Correa um, not signing with the twins in a little bit. Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune will also join me to talk Vikings. An interesting week so far for them with. Head coach Kevin O'Connell at the beginning of the week talking about wanting to have more aggressiveness on defense, change some things, understanding that at this point in the season, it's hard to make massive changes. Um, maybe that's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy Prophecy since they could have changed more things earlier in the year, and now it's a little bit too late. But uh, I'll get Ben's perspective on you know what what some of uh, defensive coordinator Ed Donatel's comments on Wednesday should should mean to us, and you know how how and if much can change right now based on the personnel, based on what we've already seen this year. So Ben will help me break that all down in a little bit, and you'll hear some audio from uh, defensive coordinator Ed Donatel also. Got to get some Wolves talk in a little bit. They lost to the Clippers. No D'Angelo Russell, no Carl Anthony Towns, no Jordan McLaughlin, no Torian Prince. A lot of uh, a lot of guys missing right now, but not a lot of guys stepping up either. The Wild got another good win, another solid win. They've been playing pretty well lately. Um, Philippe Gustafsson, backup goalie, has been playing quite well lately. Also, he had another strong start in that 4-1 win over Detroit, so we'll get to that in a little bit. First, though, what did I miss? Like I said, a minute ago, going to talk Twins. I've just got some lingering thoughts on Carlos Correa and the Twins. Just a few things um, after reading Jim Suhan's piece, in particular in Thursday's Star Tribune and online. A good piece. Um, go check it out, please. Got some some pretty candid quotes from Derek Falvey, Twins, uh, president of baseball operations, about the whole process want to read one of those to you right now. The Twins not getting Carlos Correa. He signs with the Giants for 13 years, $350 million. Jim writing and confirming that the final offer the Twins made was 10 years for $285 million. Um, he asked Falvey, did the offer of 13 years knock the Twins out of the competition? And here was Falvey's quote, that was what tipped the scales. Maybe I'm just telling myself this, but maybe it took an offer of that length to get him to want to leave, to have that kind of gap in the offers. Based on the conversations we were having, it felt there was definitely strong mutual interest, and ultimately, sometimes it's a business, and that's a part of it. When I talked to Carlos Tuesday night, he said nothing but awesome things about the environment he enjoyed with the Twins and our group and how much he enjoyed his time here. It was a very amicable conversation. That's all well and good. Um, that doesn't mean Carlos Correa is here. I I don't, again, I talked on Wednesday show about how I don't necessarily think they will regret this. I think even 10 years was going to be a stretch for a player like Carlos Correa, who has had his own injury issues in the past and who maybe while being a very good player, doesn't 
doesn't jump out to me as that transcendent type of player. Maybe that's just my impression of him. Um, 13 years, certainly more to it. One question I had, though, is if you were willing to do 10, what, 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 why, why was that the line in the sand? What made that the, the place that you wouldn't go past? I get it that Correa would be 38 at the end of a 10-year deal, be 41 at the end of a 13-year deal. So obviously there's some years at the end of his contract where he is going to be you know, a far diminished player. But that's a long ways down the road. If you're willing to go 10, I'm, I'm still kind of curious why you wouldn't go a little bit further if that meant you could keep a guy you really wanted. Because um, 10 for 85 is already stretching yourself pretty far. Maybe they just decided that's as far as they could go. That's as much kind of end of contract pain that they were willing to feel. Um, and again, I think that's prudent. It just struck me as odd that that was the line in the sand that they ended up drawing. Number two, where do they go from here? You know, Jim talked a lot about how they're going to have to pivot to the trade market. And a lot of fans might be saying, well, what about you know Dansby Swanson, another really good shortstop out there? What about Carlos Rodon? Jim made it sound like those guys are not really in play, that, uh, that the Twins think the Yankees are going to get Rodon and that Swanson is going to sign elsewhere as well. And those are kind of the two big prizes left in free agency. So as it stands right now, the Twins payroll would be around $110 million for next year. Quite a bit lower than it was last year. Quite a bit lower, obviously, than it would be if they had signed Correa. So they've got some they've got some room to play with, and they've frankly got a lot of needs right now. Um, so if they're not going to dive into free agency, at least not in a big scale, it is going to have to be trades. And that's the lot the last piece that's kind of puzzling to me. You know, Jim mentions that maybe they're in the market for you know, another kind of platoon shortstop to pair with Kyle Farmer, who they got in a trade with the Reds earlier this offseason, and some starting pitching. But in the same vein, we keep hearing that Sonny Gray is someone that maybe is available in a trade. Sonny Gray is a frontline starting pitcher. I, I don't get why why his name keeps popping up. My only inference could be that Sonny Gray and the Twins are not a great match. The Twins maybe want someone a little more, bit more durable, and Sonny Gray wants to go play for a team that uh, will let him pitch more than five and a third innings. But that seems like an odd one to me, because if you keep Sonny Gray and add to the rotation, I think you're talking about a pretty decent possibility for a rotation. Sonny Gray, Kenta Maeda coming back from injury, Tyler Malley if he's healthy, Joe Ryan coming off a very strong year last season, trying to build on that. A lot of other candidates like Bailey Ober, um, you know, Josh Winder. You know, we'll see where Chris Paddock is and his recovery. A lot of candidates, but no, you know, you don't want to trade away from that pool. And you also, like Lavelle and I talked about the other day, would love to sign a lefty or trade for a lefty to be in that mix because none of those guys are left-handed pitchers. Um, well, that's why Rodon makes so much sense. And I don't quite get why they wouldn't be in on that unless the price is just too high. Again, People keep coming back to me and saying, well, there's no salary cap in baseball. Why can't they just go and spend this money? I think they, they could. I agree they could. Um, t- teams like the Twins have smaller margins for error than teams like the Yankees, teams like the you know like the even the Giants who make tons more in revenue every year. That doesn't mean they shouldn't take big swings, but big swings have not tended to work out all that great for the Twins. Think about the long contract for Joe Maurer that really hurt them in the back half of that contract. Think about Josh Donaldson and how they went all in on offense 
after the Bomba squad in 2019 and then immediately could not wait to trade Josh Donaldson. So a lot of work yet to do here for this team this offseason. I don't think the roster makes a whole lot of sense right now. I think they need a lot of hitting, frankly, beyond what they have right now because you've subtracted already Carlos Correa and Gio Urshela from a lineup that was okay last year, but that really was, you know, up and down the lineup had some question marks. And, uh, you know, so there hasn't been a whole lot to replace that. Yeah, I know they've got Kyle Farmer. I know they've got Christian Vasquez. Those guys are not replacements for the guys they've lost and, and don't replace some of the other offense that they're not counting on right now. So a lot of work to be done. Still a lot of questions off of, off of the Korea news. I think they've got a lot to do this offseason to not only to build a better team, but to restore fan interest in this team because I think a lot of people thought Carlos Correa was really in play, and maybe he was, but at the end, teams are going to outbid the Twins, and if they didn't really have a great plan B, this is where they are left. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's talk Vikings defense with Ben Gessling. We're on day uh, three, four of... uh defensive schism gate, whatever you want to call it um, right now. I, we're not at a schism. I tried to get Andrew on the other day to to, to, to call it a schism, but it, it does seem, Ben, like uh, Kevin O'Connell and Ed Donatel, defense coordinator, are at least somewhat on the same page in terms of tweaks they need to make to the defense. I, I guess the question is, are tweaks enough? Um, and, and what to you stood out in particular, I'll play a couple of quotes and a couple little audio a little bit later, but what, what in particular stood out to you from, uh, from Ed Donatel talking about it on Wednesday? Well, I mean, he talked a lot about how it has more to do with execution than scheme, which is, I think typically what you hear from coaches, because obviously they put a scheme together thinking this is going to work. I mean, you don't go into a season thinking, okay, this scheme isn't going to get us where we want to be. I mean, the idea with anything you put in is if we execute this scheme properly, this will have the answers to what we have to deal with. And and this scheme obviously is popular around the NFL. And it's part of the reason that Donatello is here is that he has been in this scheme for the last, well, the better part of his career, but certainly been with Vic Fangio the last couple of years in Denver. But I think it was interesting to hear him say that. And then also kind of talk about players are doing what they've been coached to do. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, somebody has got to be wrong here and either what you're coaching players to do doesn't work or yes. they are not doing what they've been coached to do. Yes. Cause you don't want to, you, any scheme, regardless of what the intent is probably does not intend to be dead last and yards allowed. Like even no. if you are a bend, but don't break defense, you want to be, you know, you can live with middle of the pack yards allowed. You don't want to be last. Yeah, and, they, and he said that, that everybody is used to having Vikings teams have good defenses. And that, I think, you could look back to Mike Zimmer, you know, the better part of Mike Zimmer's tenure for that. I think even, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, in the aughts into the early teens, I guess, you know, the Williams wall, you know, some of the Leslie Frazier stuff, they were awfully good. Mike Tomlin, I mean, you can go all the way back to the people that are certainly – there have been a lot of 
highly decorated defensive players to play for this team, probably more so than Hall of Fame offensive players, I, I guess. I mean, they've had those two, certainly receivers, but not quarterbacks. So the the pass rushers over the lineage of this franchise have been kind of the thing that have, I suppose, been the, the thing they're the most known for, I suppose. And, um, you know, the identity of this team, as Ed Donatel has said, has been defensive football for at least in the recent past. So there is a standard they're not living up to. And he's, he said that, that we're not happy with it, but uh, you know, <laughs> at some point here, you have to find an answer because you're running out of time, I think, to make any major changes and the playoffs are not far away. No, they're not. Um, let's play a clip now from Donatel talking Wednesday with reporters We'd like to take some of the air out of the coverage. We, you you want to be tighter. And it's a pretty general question, but whether you're in man or zone, we got to be tighter on our matches and tighter to people. That makes it harder for people, you know, to run their passing game. We just want to be tighter, you know, and that, that's what we're, we're looking to do. And our players are, are doing what they're coached to do. I, I think it's uh, really more execution, you know what I mean? Just getting tighter and, 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 and so forth. Okay, Ben, um, what... The the phrase too much air in the coverage is yeah. something we heard just now from Ed Donatel. Maybe it's it's becoming uh, a popular phrase around there, perhaps. What what does that mean to you? What what is he trying to say when he says too much air in the coverage? Yeah, I think some of it is it I think Patrick Peterson put it really well on Monday when he was at the the Toys for Tots event they did and he was on K Fan in the afternoon with Dan Barrero. He talked about every time you play zone. There are holes in the coverage. It has to do with how well you can execute assignments and just close those holes up. So I, I think some of it is probably corners playing a little tighter on receivers, especially knowing situations. If it's third and three, don't play eight yards off because they're going to yeah. take the completion. That's, that's a simple math. And yeah, that's and, and Zimmer used to harp on this with, with corners all the time, that you have to understand the down and distance to understand the situation understand what they're trying to do and if you're giving them an easy completion for a first down they're going to take it i think some of it is that some of it is probably executing assignments correctly so that and there are some reps believe it or not from sunday where they did this correctly where guys are playing their zones passing receivers off properly and there's nowhere to go with the ball jared goff has to throw it away i mean you can find clips of that on sunday believe it or not Promise? You sure? There are, there are a few of them okay. in there. There are a lot right. of bad ones, too. Um, there are a few of those in there. And I think the thing that you wonder is so much of responsibility changes if teams motion at the line of scrimmage. If, if I have, you know, you'll hear them talk about two by two or three by one a lot, basically meaning how many receivers are on one side, eligible receivers, not necessarily wide receivers. Tight end can be one of those as well. How many of them are on one side of the line of scrimmage? versus the other three by one obviously is three eligible receivers on one side yeah. one on the other you're generally not ca- accounting for the running back in those calculations i mean there's five eligibles on a play but they'll you'll typically hit them kind of talk about four in those calculations so they're, they're figuring the coverage usually because of that because usually a linebacker is probably responsible for a running back in most cases so when those things change your coverage changes, your assignments change. It, it's the question of if this guy goes this way, I have him. If this guy goes this way, I have him. And this is zone defense in any sport. I mean, you can talk about this in basketball too. If you're sure. playing zones and, and a guy comes into a certain area and 
he is there for a second and then he leaves, whose responsibility is it? I mean, this requires a lot of communication, a lot of situational awareness. I had a conversation with Patrick Peterson in the locker room today talking about you know, the thing he will do a lot of times is he'll, he, he said, you'll see me talking before the snap all the time. And you, you can you can see this on yeah any broadcast copy, any game you watch. He's talking a lot for the snap. He said some of that is as much for me as it is for everybody else. And he, he's certainly communicating information that everybody else is going to need to know. But some of it for him is the thought process of I'm trying to get myself engaged in what everybody else has to do. And I want to be mentally alert and active before the play. It almost seemed to me like, you know, you're driving late at night yeah. and you want somebody sitting there in the car talking to you. So you're staying awake, you're staying alert, you're ready to react to things. It, it almost had that sort of a, an approach as I heard him talk about it. And I think for him, it's been awfully effective. I mean, he's, he's more often than not the guy that's in the spot that he needs to be. And some of that's experience, but some of that I think is he, him knowing what works for him and, and figuring out how to, to make it, be effective over the long haul. And so I think some of it with young corners is you are just saying, okay, what's my assignment? I need to worry about the thing that I have to take care of. And that's about all I can process at the moment. I'm not looking at this with a wider frame of vision. I'm trying to figure out what I need to do. And you can get burned with that in this defense if you're not in sync with what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And I mean, that's in the, leads me to another point. I mean, I imagine if there was, you know, a team of four or five Patrick Petersons, this defense would look a lot better right now. So you can say to a certain degree, is it the scheme or is it the personnel? You can also turn that on its side though and say, if you know you're not very experienced at corner and you're playing a style of defense that's going to require a certain amount of mental acumen as opposed to just, you know, raw physical ability to play you know, man cover, you know, cover your guy and that's it. Um, maybe that's not suited for the type of personnel. So I don't know, where, where do you come down on scheme versus personnel versus some combination of both? Yeah, it's hard because I, I think if you're going to play man coverage, you better have some dudes at that position. I mean, guys that can just go run and cover and deal with it no matter who they have to cover. Whether They can be physical, they can be alert, they can be active, they can run across the field, they can handle all that stuff. Those guys are really hard to find. They're especially hard to find when you don't have the money to pay them. And the guys that you've drafted at those spots haven't necessarily worked out. I mean, you could do that with Xavier Rhodes in his prime. They don't have that guy right now. Patrick Peterson's had a great year, but I think if you put Patrick Peterson in that scheme, he's been the one to say it, that that doesn't work as well at this point of his career as it would have when he was 26 and making pro bowls every year for the Cardinals in a scheme like that. So he, I mean, he talked about there's, there's more checks in a scheme that has a lot of pressure involved, like where the Cardinals will be blitzing all the time. And you have to figure out more things with that. He, he said on the, on the spectrum of difficult schemes, this is not as crazy as anything he has seen, but it does seem to be something they're having a, a hard time figuring out it. Now, if you wanted to play man coverage, where it's just, this is my guy all the time. You have to have, I think, probably higher level corners than they have, or at least corners that that part of their skill set is there. And, and I don't know that they have those guys at the moment that are are man cover corners. Obviously, if they thought they did, they wouldn't be running the scheme. So it makes it difficult because you could play a simpler scheme mentally, but I think physically it would be more difficult. 
And so then you try to figure out, okay, what works with what we have? If this is the solution, or at least the one that you think is the solution, you have to figure out how to execute it. I mean, every defense has difficult things to get over. Every every defense has challenges to overcome. And, and this one, we seem to have found what a lot of it is. Yeah. Well, let me play one more Donatel clip here um, uh, right now, just to kind of set up a little bit more of what I want to ask you at the end here. One thing we'd, we we like to get done is we want to win the first, second, and down and make it harder for the quarterback to see the the uh, pass scheme we're in. And that's a work in progress right now. You know, we're not accomplishing that. It is disguise. And it's unveiling sameness and likeness looks to slow down the quarterback. And when you do that with cover, coverage and rush, you have the picture you want. So, again, we have a vision out there. We know what it looks like, okay? We're just not quite there uh, every week. But um, let's let's not lose sight that these guys have made a lot of plays. We've got a lot of interceptions. We've got a good amount of sacks. We have guys that have made some great clutch plays, okay? So, okay, shore up this area. Work through it. Uh, embrace it, you know, that kind of thing. So that's where we are and, and, and know that, okay, so you're going to work through this challenge. There'll be another one. <laughs> Don't think it's over. You know, and whether that comes next year or somewhere along the line. So it's really about your processes. When you hit little tough spots, and this tough spot, we don't want to do that. That is no way the standard that we want to play at or the effect we want to have on a quarterback. We want to make it harder. You know, it's not hard enough. So talking about winning the the first second of yeah. the down, and I imagine that, you know, that goes for the entire defense, but I imagine some of that is not you know, a lot of this is not just the secondary, this is the pass rush that's been a problem. Lately, and those two things obviously always go hand in hand. You get a better pass rush, your secondary looks better, or if you can cover better, your your pass rush isn't as much of a factor. Or you you have a longer time to get to the quarterback when you know both of them are out of whack. Then you're going to have some problems. Um, how much of you know how much of this is that um, Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith just haven't been getting home as much as they had been at the start of the year? Yeah, I, I think some of it is that. I think one of the things they want to be able to do is make the the read, the initial read, when he talks about winning the first second, he's talking partially about, I want the quarterback to have to hold the ball and say, I'm not entirely sure where these safeties are going. I need a yeah. second to try to decipher what's happening. And then the idea is that while you're taking that time sitting back there, that pass rush is getting closer to saying you're out of time. So some of it, I think, is starting from the back end and making life easier for the front end in the sense of if the quarterback can't figure out where to go with the ball and I'm not quite sure what picture I'm looking at, if it takes him a little more time to figure that out, it's easier for the pass rush to get home. Conversely, it's easier to play coverage if the quarterback is being put under duress awfully quickly and you haven't seen probably quite as many of those happen in the last few weeks as you did early in the year. And, and some of that I think is teams figuring out how to attack them and what they do is now on tape and it's fairly well established. Whereas maybe early in the year, it wasn't quite as much of that, but um, yeah, they also need more from Daniel Hunter from Zedarius Smith. That Donatel did say this morning that he feels like Zedarius Smith is fully healthy, okay. which I think <clears throat> makes a difference, but they need, I think especially Hunter when he's not facing quite as much attention from opposing offensive lines as Darius Smith is getting, he needs to win those matchups, finish some of those things, turn hurries into sacks. I think is is probably one of the things that we they would need to see happen. 
Last thing really quick. Um, these are issues that <clears throat> are not brand new. I mean, the defense has been questionable at various points. I mean, these are some of the things they talked about after a week two loss to the Eagles. We're in week 15 now. They've played 13 yep. games. Did they wait too long to do some of this? Or, or why why, why not more urgency, at least publicly, um, before until now? Well, I think the urgency has, has been there. I, I think maybe the public part of it is starting yep. to come out. But I mean, just as you go through a year and, and maybe frustration mounts a little bit, some of this stuff comes out publicly, maybe more than it would have in week two or, or week five or something. Um, I, I think this has been a conversation throughout the year in terms of trying to tighten up the coverage. We heard Patrick Peterson talk about it after the Eagles game of trying yeah. to tighten up the coverage. Um, I, the pass rush early in the year was a lot better. So some of these things got covered up and they also were getting a lot more takeaways where yeah. we haven't seen. Quite as many of those, and that is a feature of an Ed Donatel defense, is we get a lot of takeaways, and maybe you don't worry as much about giving up the yards if they're not scoring or they're not turning those possessions into at least things that help you flip the field. If they're turning the ball over in the middle of the field and you have a short field to work with because of a takeaway, all that stuff works together. So I think some of it's been that, that you haven't seen the takeaways, you haven't seen the sacks maybe cover up as many of the issues in the last few weeks. Yeah. The issues have have kind of been there, but if you have quarterbacks working out of third and fourteen instead of third and three, that changes things. And if you're if you have quarterbacks that are throwing interceptions, and those things turn into points, and points then turn into a lead, and quarterbacks are having to work from behind, you know, all of that stuff kind of goes hand in hand. Well, we'll see if they're able to turn it around against what is, in some measures, the worst offense in the NFL uh, Saturday against. The Colts, uh, maybe Ed Donat, maybe Ed Donatel by Saturday night will be a genius once again. I doubt it, but we'll see. Um, regardless of what happens, Ben Gessling will have you covered from uh, from US Bank Stadium on Saturday. Ben, appreciate the time. Catch you again soon. All right, thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Ben as always. I'm just struck right now by this being a team that, even though they are ten and three, doesn't seem to have a ton of great answers on defense and. I think a lot of it probably just comes back to personnel, right? Like this is a team that was bad on defense the last two years and didn't really add a whole lot of a whole lot of other pieces. Yeah, they got Zadarius Smith this year. I get that was a big move, but you know, that was you know, that's kind of the only real huge significant upgrade they've made. They tried to upgrade the secondary through the draft and all of those guys are hurt right now. Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth Jr., Caleb Evans. They just don't have a lot of help right now, and sometimes it, sometimes we can blame the scheme. You can say, oh, "Man, they're just not playing the right way." Um, I don't I don't know. So I, I think I think Ed Donatel deserves a, a share of this blame, but sometimes it's just you don't have the players, and maybe they weren't counting on being ten and three right now with the way they were constructed. I don't know, but right now I don't see a whole lot of answers on defense. Maybe the stretch run here will give them a little bit of confidence, at least heading into the playoffs. But an interesting time for them as they you know, are on the verge of clinching the division way clear of everybody else, but still a lot of questions to answer for the Vikings. Let's finish with the cooler. Timberwolves and Wild played on the same night again. I think it was like the fourth or fifth time in a row they've played on the same night. They keep having these off days at the same time, on days at the same time. Two teams heading in seemingly opposite directions. Timberwolves, like I said at the jump, missing D'Angelo Russell. He was out. Um, with an injury, seems like it's kind of a mild injury, but still uh, missing him, missing Carl Anthony Towns, missing Torian Prince, missing Jordan McLaughlin, who would have gotten big minutes at point guard if he was healthy. 
This is a team right now that just doesn't have a lot of offensive firepower, and that showed in a 99-88 loss to the Clippers, only getting 88 points. I mean, a much better defensive effort to a certain degree. They slowed the game down, muddied it up, gave a lot of minutes to Austin Rivers. Um, They're just not a very good offensive team when those guys aren't on the court. And this one thing that's just really struck me this year is that they just turned into a team that does not value the three-pointer nearly as much as they did last year. They were the number one team in the league last year in three-point attempts per game. They're more like bottom bottom half right now. Shot just four of 22 from three-point range in, uh, in, in Wednesday night's loss. Last year, they averaged like 41 threes a game. They made like 14 or 15 a game. Just not a lot of guys in this lineup who can make or shoot the three. Um, one interesting side note, I think I saw a note that uh, uh, Patrick Beverly, who, who had left the, left the Wolves in, that, in the Rudy Gobert trade, is open to a return to Minnesota if he is traded and eventually bought out of his contract. That would be an interesting um, you know, rekindling of that relationship. I do think they miss Patrick Beverly. I do think he brought a certain element of accountability and fire. So I think he is available available to be traded as of today because of uh, veteran status, contract status. If he is traded from the Lakers at some point, that would be interesting to see if he winds up back with the Wolves. That's not an immediate you know, three-point solution, although he does have a pretty good career mark. But that is somebody who could change the texture of this team. The Wild, meanwhile, like I said, up, up, up. They've been playing a lot better on defense lately. Philippe Gustafsson, their backup goalie, giving them a lot of good minutes. That was kind of the template for uh, for Wednesday's 4-1 win over Detroit. Just felt very comfortable all the way in that game, like they had this one in hand. And it really just changed their identity from the beginning of the year. And that's a pretty impressive thing. You can't always just imagine yourself doing that. Imagine yourself going from a team that's kind of skating up and down to a team that's got to tighten it up a little bit, find your offense in in spurts, but really lean on the defense and the goaltending. And they've, they've done that. They've gotten themselves into a much better position uh, to succeed this season, changing their identity. And unlike the Wolves, it seems like they are getting healthy at the right time, too. It sounds like Ryan Hartman could be back pretty soon, and that would be another key addition for them. Um, you know they've been making do with a lot of players. Call up Sammy Walker, former Gopher, has been very good for them in a few games here so far. Very steady player. So you know showing some organizational depth and now getting healthy. That is a good trajectory for them to be on. And that will do it for me today. Special treat coming up on Friday show. I've got a longtime Vikings fan who is on a quest to see them beat every team in person. He is one team short, and that team is the Indianapolis Colts, who the Vikings play on Saturday, and that just happens to be the Vikings' 1,000th game postseason or regular season in their history. So a lot of things converging on Saturday, including the chance to clinch the division. So I will talk to Ted Young, longtime Vikings fan, for Friday's show. I hope you enjoy that conversation. Until then, have a great rest of your day. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.